And I'm Steph. And you're listening to The Thirst, a podcast that looks at the latest in pop culture, as well as dissecting some very important topics of our choosing. It's January 2023, and we're here with Under Review, an opportunity for us to talk about some recent releases in film, TV and music that have piqued our interest. For this edition, we'll be recapping our favourite films, TV, music and books of 2022. Some have already been mentioned in our mid-year roundup back in July, so we won't necessarily be doing a deep dive, but it's a nice opportunity to look back on the highs of pop culture from the past 12 months. These discussions will be spoiler free, so feel free to listen all the way through, even if we mention some titles that you haven't experienced yet. Hello. Hello. It's 2023. Yeah, happy new year. Happy new year. Great. Do you have a good one? Yeah, it was nice I spent it with you. <laughs> you did, didn't Oh my you? God, it was we so nice. We were together, yeah. Yeah, just, you know. We were doing our homework for this. This is what we were doing. Uh, we were doing our homework and watching Hoot and Nanny. We did watch Hoot and Nanny together. That was nice. And we did actually watch some films during the day together, didn't we? Oh yeah, that is true. We did. It's become like a bit of a tradition to try and catch up on like a couple of films that we've both wanted to see from that year. Yeah, right at the end of the year. Up. Yeah, so, my fondest memory of that is the year that we watched both Uncut Gems and Parasite. That was a fine, fine day. That was a end of 2018, I think. I was crawling crawling up the wall what for the entire thing that re was. We did Ready or Not with something. We once. did, yeah. Can't remember what it was now. Ready uh, or not. Can't and can't remember. And then this time we did what did we do? Oh we did Amazing Combo, Triangle of Sadness and Crimes of the Future. What a pairing. What a pairing. What a pairing. Um ending on Crimes of the Future before uh Hoot and Annie was a real joy I it's have what, to say um, it's what Jules would have wanted it is exactly what Jules would have <laughs> wanted he's a big Cronenberg fan um, so we're here once again to discuss our top bits of 2022 yep. um, we're going to start with films which I feel like is the one that we always try try and accurately rank but I find it I find it really difficult I think we've covered before that you quite enjoy ranking things I do but I hate it <laughs> I find it such a stress inducing task I hate task it generally because I and I've changed mine repeatedly over the last like a week or so um not that anyone cares apart from it's me it's just purely self-serving oh uh, everyone's yeah clearly you're going to put it out there and it's going to be the thing that everyone judges you everyone's based on, on. Hooks. everyone's um, like wow i can't believe she put that as number three i can never talk to her again well it's mostly because i hate going back and looking at lists from previous years and like think and thinking to myself like why? why is that there was that so high yeah um i'm I, never gonna watch that again <laughs> yeah like wow i had no idea that i was that passionate about that <laughs> film that i've never thought about since yeah and it's also quite difficult to think of things there's like i can view things critically yeah or i can go you know what i had such a good time with this well this is and i think we'll come on to this when we go through our lists actually because there's a few on mine that aren't necessarily like the most critically revered films of the year but they were some of my most fondest and enjoyable viewing experiences and for that reason I would put them in my top 10. Yeah I am exactly the same so when we get to like I don't know I was trying to think really quickly of like a shit film but uh get to some sort of film that everyone's like wow okay (laughs) wow you're like yeah I had a very pleasant experience. I had a great time actually. Um you can start. Okay I will start 
Uh, I'm interested to see... It's always interesting to see how much overlap we have. Mm. And also remembering films that technically came out this year but feel like six years ago. Yeah, this does feel like a weird movie year and there's a lot of stuff. I will actually say there's a few things in my top ten which will have come out in the States in 2021 Uh, but for us in the UK had 2022 releases so that's a little caveat there. Yeah, and then there's also things that we haven't watched yet because they're out now in the US but we won't get them till 2023. Yeah, i.e. Babylon. Babylon. Uh, The Fableman. The Fableman's Tar. Tar. Yeah, we don't get Tar until next week. Next week. So there are a few omissions. Yeah. Um, I put as my number 10 uh, The Eternal Daughter. Oh, good. I haven't seen this yet. Yes. So this is... uh, I watched this over Christmas, which was a very good time of year to be doing so. It's a good kind of winter gothic setting. So it's a drama written, produced and directed by Joanna Hogg of the Souvenir fame. Um, I guess it's... Yeah, it is a sad gothic haunting, really. It stars Tilda Swinton. She's got two roles in this because she loves a dual acting experience in a film. And it is the story of an artist and an elderly mother who stay at a large hotel, something that you'd see in the UK, like typically British, like old manor, kind yep. of big old country house during the off season. So it's winter. And Julie wants to make a film about her mother. So they're spending time together in this house because her mum, it used to be her family home. So, and during their stay, Rosalind, who's her mother, sort of opens up about all the painful memories she had in this house. Um, almost nothing happens in this film. Love that. Nothing. Um, the wiki plot summary was honestly about four sentences long because there's a, not a lot that happens. That's funny. However, it's amazingly set, this big sort of vast gothic setting, like lots of fog, big empty echoey house, lots of staircases and hallways. Um, and it's a kind of ghost story without any real ghosts. So it's a sort of quite a sad meditation on mothers and daughters right. and loss and grief and memory and the creation of art. Tilda Swinton's amazing in it, as always. Um, I think she might be one of my favourite actresses by far. I've watched so much with her in. I feel like when we did our Luca Guadagnino episode, when we were talking about Bones and All, and obviously inevitably we were then talking about Tilda and her appearances in his films, I feel like we talked about then about how actually she's often the best thing in any she's film. She's so good. Like she's always she's always good. And she's in so many good films. Yeah, I've so. never seen her be bad no actually i'm sure there are probably some examples but i just couldn't think no i just love her so it was great to see her um it's kind of a a bit of a cold film but very powerful and kind of it's got mr jamesian vibes so that was my that was my number 10 i don't think it'd be for everyone Mm -hmm. but on like a quiet sunday evening in the dark with a bunch of candles lit yeah and i don't know if you're invested in any kind of mother daughter storyline which can be quite painful to watch yeah it's yeah it's very well executed what's your number 10 i'm really keen to see that actually so I need please to bump it up my, watch it uh, watch yeah. list. Uh, my number 10 is triangle of sadness yeah uh, directed by ruben osland where to start with this film it is it was very long actually is an interesting contrast because i think the eternal daughter is like one hour 30 love that. that 90 minute banger. this is like almost three hours almost three hours <laughs> it's about i suppose it's a nice rumination on the affluent um, it's a bit upstairs, downstairs in the kind of divide between people with money and then the people that kind the of... service staff, service basically. Service staff, yeah. yeah. So it begins with a model and his influencer girlfriend and you sort of see their dynamic, which is actually quite fraught and a lot of their conflict is around money. Mm. Um, and, and it's a PR relationship, basically. It's very much a PR it? relationship. So you've got that kind of like new money aspect of people that are quite young that have come into sort of cash 
due to their careers and then it switches to being on a luxury yacht luxury serviced yacht so there are lots of affluent customers and then there's an entire staff of servers people that keep the boat running cleaners etc etc and it really is kind of a rumination about the way that the rich treat people they are the people that they are paying yeah um to do uh services of any kind ruben osland makes films that are purposefully thought-provoking and can be quite spiky Mm. um and i don't know i'd I'd heard this film talked about frequently throughout the year um that obviously it i think it premiered at Cannes this year last year sorry and there'd been sort of lots of ironic talking about how you know lots of rich people sitting around applauding a film that is bent (laughs) essentially meant to be satirizing them Them. directly Yeah. yeah But it just has some really great performances in it. Um, I had not really actively seen Harris Dickinson in particular in anything. He plays the male model in this whose name I can't remember. Carl. Carl, it is Carl, isn't it? He's really great. He's, He's fantastic brilliant. in it. I haven't seen him in anything yeah, else. Yeah, it's got a, a phenomenal Woody Harrelson performance. I, fu- I mean, we've covered this so many times. I just love and fancy Woody Harrelson so much, even as a very drunk boat captain yeah it's just good i just had a lovely time with it it is long and i think at points yeah and i don't think it it doesn't do anything like world changing like it's not a new presentation of anything really absolutely not and i feel like it's very of the moment in terms of films that do look at this kind of conflict between the working classes and the upper classes that feels like very of the moment understandably so it's also yeah and like the very eat the rich but also the rich and like hospitality so there's like with a menu and there's a lot around like food and class at the moment and there's a lot of food in this there is and i found it really interesting actually knowing full well that it was filmed pre and during covid and i think often about how during those periods of lockdown there were a lot of affluent people that were able to escape and go on holiday and be on these kind of yachts and holidays and Mm. they were having a lovely normal quote-unquote normal time they've just got to get away from the chaos but then you would see pictures and there would be kind of you know the waiting staff the hospitality team would all be wearing masks and would be putting themselves at risk so i think it it was i don't know it was just very interesting to watch at the end of a year that has been sort of i don't know a little bit post-covid yeah yeah that dinner scene the oh most chaotic God. thing I've seen all year, and I loved it. I was, ca- I mean, I was cackling. You were cackling. Wasn't I? I, it was so genuinely. This I find this film. I know it won't be to everyone's taste in terms of the humour. Mm-hmm. I found it personally very funny. It's really funny. It is hilarious. It's really funny. I think the the, the way that the satire in it is deployed, because um, it's very much is poking fun at people who actually kind of deserve to have fun poked at them. Particularly this kind of influencer type dynamic mm-hmm. that we have these days. You know, just the idea of kind of performatively doing things for the sake of content creation oh my god so i think about that scene where yeah is eating some spaghetti and she's making carl take pictures of her and then she just decides to not eat the spaghetti i mean we've literally witnessed that in real life we have witnessed it in real life so it is very funny to sort of see rendered on on film but yeah yeah, this is real i had a great time with it i personally just love to watch rich people shit their britches so who doesn't who knew a good time as we're doing this i'm going oh god the order of this but fine um, we'll stick with it. Number nine, I've put is Licorice Pizza, which yep. is one of the ones that technically would have been 2021 for a lot of people, mm-hmm. but it's 2022 for us. And it was, we discussed it during our mid-year roundup. We did. Um, it was the first thing we saw in 2022. Yeah, New Year's Day. Yeah. Love Letter to Film and Filmmaking. Love the performances, especially Alana Haim and Cooper Hoffman. I think we just 
I don't know, very sun-kissed, nostalgic. It was a nice way to start the year, wasn't it? Yeah, joyful yeah. and melancholy, and it was just a really nice way to start the year. So I still have fond memories of that, and I'd like to watch it again soon. Good film, good movie. My number nine is Top Gun Maverick, directed by uh, Joseph Kosinski. Um, Big blockbuster of the year. Very much delayed for multiple years due to COVID. I think it was meant to come out in 2020, and then it just been pushed and pushed and pushed because I think Tom Cruise in particular had really advocated it for being in cinemas and didn't want it to go to streaming. There had been a bit of back and forth, I think, with Paramount, who are the distributor, and I think they'd wanted to send it to streaming platforms, but Tom Cruise had been very much of the opinion that he did not want that to happen. That um, man has power. He's got power. Um, I just loved it, and I didn't expect to enjoy it as much as I did. I have absolutely no attachment to to Top Gun, the original Top Gun, as a concept. I rewatched it ahead of seeing Top Gun Maverick, and it's fine. It doesn't really hold up. Yeah. Oh, interesting. It's fine, isn't it? It's got good performances, you know, good good Val Kilmer. But um, yeah, this was just a good time. I think sometimes it's really nice to just lean into, like, going to see a blockbuster. Yeah, you need to have a blockbuster big it was, experience. It was loud. It was had so many nods back to the original, which didn't feel hammy. It felt very, like nice it's got a really good like ensemble cast of young actors you've got obviously tom cruise returning you've got jennifer connelly playing his love interest but then you have people like mars teller Mm. glenn powell um so it was just a good time i just think it was one of my fondest memories of going to the cinema last year and i think it was just you know proof that actually sometimes it's just fun to go and see a big stupid blockbuster about planes flying around yeah gotta do it smash and explode yeah all of that stuff gotta yeah do it. Gotta literally do it. Mm-hmm. my number eight is resurrection oh okay which is it's not the most pleasurable viewing experience i have to say um it's a psychological thriller written and directed by andrew siemens it stars rebecca hall grace Kaufman, Michael Esper and Tim Roth. Lovely Tim Roth. Lovely Tim Roth. Um, And Rebecca Hall plays Margaret who is this really successful woman. Has a great career. She's got a daughter. She's clearly very intelligent, disciplined, has her shit together. And suddenly this figure called David returns who is uh, a man from her past played by Tim Roth and everything starts to unravel. Um, It's a really stressful film. It's very, very tense as Margaret's life kind of spirals. So, you know, her job, her relationship with her daughter, her general health and well-being just absolutely falls apart because she starts seeing this guy everywhere. And I think Rebecca Hall's performance is... It's just amazing. It's one of the best performances of the year. Her physical reaction when she first sees him is so frightening, even though you don't have any context for what he's done at that mm-hmm. point. She's such a visceral reaction. And then later on, she gives this monologue where she talks about what has happened with him. And it is so dark. It is mortifying. I've seen kind of references to Possession and Rosemary's Baby, which um, are really... I can totally see both in this film. And it has that... It has that insanity factor with possession where things get very weird at the end and sort of stray from reality, which is probably the point that isn't to everyone's taste. But I think because the horror of Margaret's abusive relationship is probably horrifying enough, but Mm -hmm. I really liked it. And also Tim Roth is just so scary. There's something genuinely unsettling about Tim Roth. He does frightening so well. For such a small man, he's got a very small stature. Yeah, 
Yeah, and I also think... Very intimidating. Yeah, Rebecca Hall is just such a a wonderfully expressive and kind of physical actress, I find. She's fantastic in this. She's the runaway star of this. I think about how good she was in Christine. Yes, yeah. um, She was brilliant in that, wasn't she? Like a woman who's actually quite troubled and there's lots of She's very good at the whole... Yeah, the the trauma. Mm. (laughs) The trauma response. Um, I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, but... Yeah, it's a really good film. Um, it's definitely some people are going to be not going to love the way it just goes completely off the rails near the end. But I was quite into it. Very good. Uh, my number eight is The Northman. Yeah. Directed by Robert Eggers. Um, we obviously went over this at length in an episode in April time. April, yeah. We talked about it on our midweek. We talked about it on our mid-year um, retrospective as well. It was just very much like going to tick all of our boxes, wasn't it? And um, I just, I've just thought about it a lot. This so year. have I. Those performances, Alexander Skarsgård, just hulking. I think we both acknowledge that, like, it feels like a much bigger film, yeah. bigger studio film, yeah. bigger budget than Eggers' other work. Mm-hmm. And he has said himself that I think he will go back to very much not doing that scale of work. Yeah. And I think that's why it was probably... The things I didn't like about... Well, I Things I didn't not like anything, but it's not my favourite Eggers film. No. Probably because of that studio influence. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we went over that at length, didn't we, about the fact that actually it'll be really interesting to see what he does after this. Now he's kind of got that big studio historical epic out of the way. Yeah, yeah. But it still had some really weird scenes. It's very, very, it's very creepy in parts. Creepy, well put together. It is big and loud it's compared very to his loud. other stuff. Great performances, like you said, Alexander Skarsgård, Ethan Hawke, I've Bjork, thought, Bjork. I've Willem thought, Dafoe. I thought a lot about Ethan Hawke barking. Really. Bork, 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 Yeah, yeah. It's just good time. It was a very good time. My number seven is Triangle of Sadness. Oh, lovely. So glad we covered that. Love Woody Harrelson. What's your number seven? My number seven is Bones and All. Lovely. Um, oh my God, another film that we absolutely don't need to recap again. Absolutely do don't. Uh, just, just a good time. You can go over our um, last episode actually, where we unpicked that. Yes. At length. Just unpicked it like meat off a bone. Meat off some bones. Oh. Uh, my number six is Barbarian. Oh, yeah. Which we discussed in our November episode. We did. So again, won't say too much, but I don't have too many horror films. In fact, this might be the only kind of horror, strict, strictly speaking, in terms of genre horror film mm-hmm. in my top 10 this year so I'm in- pleased to sort of include it and I've done so on the basis that it was fun and it was different and it had some successful scares and it sort of plays with tropes and audience expectations and it has that onion effect of sort of twisting and turning mm-hmm. it's not groundbreaking really but I don't think it needs to be I think it's like very satisfactory in terms of its scares and its entertainment and it sort of definitely represents the time that we're living in now and the way we behave. So I just had fun. This is one of the have fun moments of my top 10. I just had a really good time with it at the cinema and I've laughed a lot talking about it with other people and I think it did genuinely surprise quite a few people. So that's my like fun horror film of the year. Good choice. My number six is Jackass Forever. Oh my God, Jackass Forever. This was a real Jackass throwback year, wasn't it? I just enjoyed it. I think I talked about it again on our mid-year episode. And I, again, much like Top Gun Maverick, it was one of my most enjoyable going to the cinema experiences. I took myself to go and see it alone. And I was just something quite nice about this like shared experience mm. of sitting in a cinema with people just laughing at this band of men who we have kind of 
enjoyed in the past mm. when we were younger. It was very much like a, a cinema full of people of a certain age mm-hmm. who'd got that kind of like jackass nostalgia. Yeah. It's like, I um, know these people. Yeah, and it's just a good time. It just was, it cheered me up. It was very lovely to see everyone back. Who doesn't love Johnny Knoxville? Oh my God, yeah. It was just genuinely. Just I've had fun rewatching them all yeah. this year as well. it was just fun. It was just a fun experience. Yeah, it's a very good film. Yeah. My number five is nope actually oh good okay um we discussed this in our august obsession of the month episode i'm surprised at how high i've ranked this but on the basis of sort of the rich discussion that's come out of it the types of films that i'd like to kind of watch again asap i'd be really keen to rewatch this and this is kind of almost like my big summer action movie really like a sci-fi western with some big effects um, it looks and sounds amazing. The performances are a joy. It touches on some themes around kind of black contributions to the Western genre, the mythology of cowboys, spectacle and the business of spectacle. It's a lot of fun and it has something to say. And I think it's a lot tighter than Jordan Peele's Us, which I like but don't love. So um, I'm just keen to rewatch it again. And I think um, I think it was very well done and I had, again, a good time with it. We had a good time, didn't we? We mm-hmm. talked about it at length on our uh, Jordan Peele episode and it was a good excuse to rewatch some of his films mm. again. I think it ranks quite highly in terms of like what he's done so far. Yeah. Um, my number five is uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's Licorice Pizza. We have been over it at length. You've obviously just mentioned it. Um, just a great time. Who great time. Who doesn't love uh, PTA? I would like to watch that again, maybe in the summer. So it feels like a, a nice, summer watch. I'd love to watch it in the summer. Actually. It shouldn't have been a January watch for no, us. No, it's annoying that it came out late for us. But hey ho, my number four is the worst person in the world. Yep, which we also discussed in our mid-year roundup. I know we were both really keen on it. Um, sort of perfectly captures a sort of specific generation and moment in time. The performances are fantastic, and it has. I don't know, it, it it hurt me more than I thought it would. Mm-hmm. So it left me with like quite a terrible sense of loss as well as a sense of connection. Yeah. I just thought it was very it was very powerful actually. Very much so. It was enjoyable and hard to watch and relatable and charming and quite it's like mundane but also quite kind of sexy and yeah, all of those things. It's a it's a it's a good one. Uh, my number four is Bergman Island, um, oh, yeah. directed by Mia Hansen. I can't remember if we talked about this at all. I can't remember if we did at all. Actually, I feel like we may have referenced it in the mid year. I think uh, really second appearance for Tim Roth. Yes, on this list. He's um, had a good year. It's about a film about two screenwriters and filmmakers who go to um, Faro, which is the uh, Swedish island where the renowned. Uh, Swedish filmmaker Bergman lived and worked um, and it's about kind of their relationship together and their working relationship and things in their past and how it affects their art and it's just got some brilliant performances Tim Roth obviously I've mentioned Vicky Kreps who um, I just think is phenomenal and then you've also got um, Mia Wasikowska and um, yeah. Anders Danielson Lai who again of the worst person in the world I think it's a prime example of a film where not a huge amount happens mm. but it looks lovely and it actually does unpick the kind of minutiae of people's relationships mm. and also that kind of dichotomy between like what happens when you are two artists and creatives mm. who work close together but then also have your own careers and how mm. those things interweave and how you bounce off one another. I just thought yeah. it was really wonderfully executed and um, yeah, just a, just a really lovely film. Yeah. There's been quite a few films about the nature of art and creativity and yeah, the process of 
creating art this year, which yeah. is quite interesting. Yeah, I noticed the Eternal that Daughter's was... the same. Yeah, I noticed that as well when I was going over my list, actually. Yeah. It feels like a very uh, key 2022 trope. Mm. I put number three as The Northman because it's very me. Um, it's just a Steph film. Yeah, in, I watched it New Year's way. Day again when we had our friend Jack staying and I just had a great time. I was like, oh, I love this. I'm totally, yeah, just having a having a ball watching this. So it was just very good times and I love my... I love my internet boyfriend, Robert Eggers. So, um, what's your number three? Uh, my number three is The Souvenir Part 2. Um, another Joanna Hogg. Another Joanna Hogg. Um, I saw this on New Year's Day before we saw Licorice Pizza. It's a fact, good double bill, isn't it? Was it was such a perfect double bill. Yeah, this is the second part of the trilogy, I guess, now, with mm-hmm. The Eternal Daughter. Um, I revisited The Souvenir Part 1 um, ahead of watching this. Um, and it was really nice to sort of see, you know, where Julie's at. Um, further down the line after the death of her boyfriend and I'm thinking about how kind of that grief and that experience would then affect her art Mm. and the filmmaking that she does as a creative and it was just I don't know I I don't think I expected it to overwhelm me and knock me for six as much as it did did it do you find it better than the first yeah absolutely yeah absolutely and it was really it was interesting when i did rewatch part one actually there were things i picked up on that particularly the relationship between julie and those around her um it was really interesting to sort of see how that then just travels through into souvenir part two but it's just brilliant it's mm. just i think joanna hogg is just a, a wonderful filmmaker and those films very, in particular good, yeah. i think is really interesting to think about what it means to be an artist and a creator mm. and then to be making films that are about the creation of your Mm. because obviously you know it's it's so heavily influenced by her life and her experience at film school and it's just wonderful it's just brilliant and again Tilda Swinton is phenomenal in it as well so yeah just a just a great film I'm so annoyed that I haven't watched that yet I had it on my list to watch over Christmas but I really felt like I needed to be in the mood I had that the two that I didn't get a chance to watch were the souvenir part two and Memoria Mm -hmm. because I was like I know I have to be in a specific mindset to enjoy or to just get to really pay attention and watch those films so they're on my when you're in the right mood well I think it was interesting watching them on New Year's Day last year doing that film first Mm. and then doing Licorice Pizza with you Mm -hmm. afterwards I was quite glad I had that as a nice kind of I don't know afterthought really <laughs> yeah it was, it's just it like was a nice a palette cleanser absolutely not a palette cleanser, no it was I mean, kind though. of though it was a nice little picture. bore you up, up a bit yeah absolutely yeah um my number two is after sun it's mine too oh my god Good look at us go i mean no we haven't spoken about this we yet have no. we so when did we watch this uh, we October, saw November? this in November, I believe. November. And it also has just gone on movie in the UK. Oh, yes, it week. has, which is great news for everyone. It's a drama written and directed by Charlotte Wells, starring uh, our favourite boyfriend, Paul Mescal, Frankie Corio and Celia Rolson Hall. And it follows a young Scottish woman called Sophie who's reflecting on a holiday she spent with her dad, Callum, back in the 90s. And this was their last holiday together very powerful it's so so powerful i don't think i expected again oh i had no idea for it to wipe me no. out as much as it did i knew it no. would i knew it would probably we would find it particularly tough i don't know not in an overwhelming way but i knew that we would kind of be perhaps quite sensitive to it and it was just i don't know it just wiped me out <laughs> yeah it's a film that again like the eternal daughter is very simple in premise yeah but is absolutely heart-wrenching. And there's this sense from the start of sort of loss and sadness. Like, you know that this is a key 
moment in Sophie's childhood. Yeah. And it's marking the final moment of something, but you don't quite know. There's like a sense that something's going to go wrong mm-hmm. and an underlying tension. A few points I thought maybe something was going to happen to Sophie herself yep. whilst they were all away. But there's something, it's like a very, it's a lovely watch because they're having, there's so much joy between them mm-hmm. on holiday. But there is this, yeah, there's this sense that there's something in the background as well that Paul Mescal's character in particular is struggling with. And I think the way it's directed, where it's a film that's mainly set in the past in this hotel resort, but it's you've got that sense of Sophie looking back yeah. and of having like an adult perspective of like a child's Absolutely. experience. And she can kind of look back now and probably see the cracks forming with her dad and we don't really know what happens no and i think it's it's very much it's it's imbued with such a sense of grief and sadness mm. and because you do i think you do get a sense of ultimately like you know that this is a very pivotal period in her life like you say she's on the cusp of becoming a teenager mm. as well so you have that entire kind of um i don't know coming of age yeah. type story mm. you know this is sort of you know she's not really a child anymore and what that then means for her the dynamic that she has with her dad yeah and you do there is this sort of unknown entity of like well what happened to her dad what is going on with callum mm. because there's he just carries such a sense like there's just emotional baggage there's a there. struggle there isn't yeah, there you but can we don't tell, know what it is you can tell and i think it's it's really interesting to think about it in terms of what happens when you become an adult and then you begin to reframe those memories you have of Mm. your parents in particular from childhood with Mm. your adult perspective um and i think the film handles that in such an interesting way it's very subtle but absolutely it's subtle but very evident at the same time like i got a real sense of it without being told that that's how it i i really found there was a kind of stark like it's it's quiet but then it also hits you like a ton of bricks yeah the ending in particular and it's not nothing you know there's not a we're not building to a climax but the ending just left me feeling horribly wounded yeah in a very odd way yeah i couldn't put my finger on it for a while no and again i think we've had a lot of films about mothers and daughters Mm -hmm. maybe not as many about daughters and fathers so that was quite an important kind of relationship to examine on film as well yeah definitely Oof, powerful. Very powerful. My number one is obviously Bones and All. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. I'm obsessed. I've talked about it on three different You're podcasts everywhere. now. You're everywhere I've talking every, about yeah, it. Like, I'll just talk about it again. It's fine. Oh, I just can't help it. It's just... Like, it's inevitable in a, it's in a Luca year, isn't joy. it? It's a year. Yeah, it's a Luca year. It's a Luca, Timmy and Trent year. Oh, I just... Yeah, I had great fun with it. It was great fun. Good year for you. Um, my number one is the worst person in the world, oh, which again felt was very inevitable. We did talk about it on the mid year, and you've obviously just been over it. But it was very interesting. I saw it again just before Christmas at the cinema. Oh, I haven't watched it yet, so yeah. And it was really fascinating for me personally to have watched it um, in the mindset that I was in at the mm-hmm. s- in March time when we saw it for the first time, and to have felt so overwhelmed and sort of kicked in the guts by it at that point and I think it was quite a painful watch at that was, stage it was excruciating it? yeah it was and really, it's very really different. excruciating was it different now you're watching it in a different mindset absolutely yeah but it was it was it wasn't any less powerful for me. I was really worried that going to see it for a second time at the cinema, I was going to have a completely different experience mm. and be like, oh, actually, for me, it's just not Didn't working. Work no, but actually, I just... It, it really 
prove to me just how wonderful of a film I personally mm-hmm. think it is. I do know it's not everyone's cup of tea, um, but I just, I don't know, it just feels very much like a, of a, a film that does really hone in on a, on a very kind of relatable experience for mm. when you are a woman of a certain age and you're yeah. going through certain Absolutely. things like I know we talked about that a lot and I just yeah it's just brilliant it was just so wonderful and yet again it made me want to go to Oslo so no, look, let's go on holiday let's go um, if you can hear a herd of elephants in the background by the way my washing machine is just finishing its little wash oh it is isn't it it is yeah sorry but some you know we've got to do I've got to do washing at some point so I don't have a studio um, so yeah, if, I don't. That might not even be picked up on the thing, but I'm just in case you can hear something rattling. Love that. It's my washing machine. Do you have any honourable mentions? I do have honourable mentions. Go. So let's because I feel those. like people will hear our top tens and go, but where is where is this? This it might still not even be there. <laughs> so let's see. Um, so Banshees of Inner Sharon, yep, which we've covered. Um, I've put in Prey, which is honestly didn't expect to put in a Predator, Predator prequel. Um, in my list but it's set in the uh, Comanche nation 300 years ago um, it actually has character development and is a very very tight little film it's, it's really really good great I had Nitram oh yeah that's on mine sort of Australian psychological drama based on a true story uh, the black phone obviously I had a great time with the black phone who doesn't want to think about Ethan Hawke short- shirtless with a mask on ring ring who's Hello, there it's some me. hot stuff <laughs> Um, you Won't Be Alone, which is a real slow burn horror in Macedonia, um, a kind of a, a very original take on witchcraft, but quite hard watch. Uh, the Innocence, which I covered in our mid-year roundup, which is a Norwegian supernatural thriller. Um, I have put Crimes of the Future Cronenberg because I was having a hell of a laugh. What a strange film. film. Just love the new sex. Um, I put Glass Onion because I, I thought it was great time a that. great Christmas watch. Much discussed sequel to Knives Out. I'm sure lots of people have, you know. But also had quite a Marmite effect, but I had a great time watching it. I loved it. it. Um, Everything Everywhere All at Once was obviously yeah. um, a very well put together film. Enjoyed that. Um, Jackass Forever, the year of Jackass. And also, I put Do Revenge, which is you the best it. high school comedy of the year with Camilla Mendes and Maya Hawke. That is a banging teen comedy. You did enjoy that, as I recall. Um, some others that I have on my list that you haven't mentioned. Nope was on my honourables, obviously not in my top ten. Kimmy, which was the... Oh, Kimmy was great. Uh, Steven Soderbergh kind of crime covid covid thriller with COVID thriller. Uh, zoe kravitz um i saw white noise uh, which is noah bambuck's adaptation of don delillo's famously unadaptable book which starred um adam driver and greta gerwig um very much two of my favorite Shit. actors of all time um I, I can't really fathom out whether i enjoyed the film or not it is on netflix now so um if you feel so inclined you could watch it i yeah it's interesting yeah. i'm not sure i loved it but they were both brilliant and it was a an experience strange little film and something I watched over Christmas which I did not expect to like as much as I did was Catherine Called Birdie oh I have heard about which that which is Lena yeah. Dudham's adaptation of a YA novel about a girl in medieval England she's, it's a sort of coming of age tale where um, she's put in a position because her family's finances are in dire straits her family her 
parents, who are played by Andrew Scott and Billy Piper, Ooh, um, what a pairing. decide what a to pairing. kind of marry her off to someone in exchange for some a dowry and some money. Um, it's genuinely really good. Oh. It was so lovely, actually. Bella Ramsey plays Catherine, plays Birdie. Um, and actually, it was... It was I wish that Lena Dunham would do more things like this yeah. because I just less of ex- everything else. I honestly didn't expect to like it as much as I did. It was very much like, oh, I want something to watch over Christmas, and it's mm. not very long. But Andrew Scott in this is like god tier. Love it, love it. It's mm. just it's a really nice who's who of kind of like people from like British TV, film, drama, Andrew comedy. Scott, and Billy Piper. She's brilliant as well. In Wild. it, it's great. It's it's really actually worth watching. I think I had a lovely time with it. On to TV, um, I'm going to preface this by saying, for me personally, I actually didn't love a lot of TV this year. No, same. I I think, A, I didn't actually watch a lot of TV this mm. year. And what I did watch, I didn't actually love that much. No. Um, there were a few things that I really loved and then a lot of stuff that I enjoyed but didn't love. And I've done a lot of re-watching this year rather than... Yeah, that's the thing. So, I mean, it takes a long time to rewatch Supernatural, is what I'm saying. You're getting there, though. Yeah. So, yeah, I am. So, doing a top ten feels a bit illogical because I don't love everything that was included. But fine, fine. Um, do you want to start this time? Sure. Um, my number ten is Russian Doll, season yes. two on Netflix. We did talk about this, I think. We did. At in, some our point round in our mid year roundup. Um, just love Natasha Lyonne, to be honest. It was really nice to sort of be thrown back into this little environment didn't necessarily need a season two but had a good time with it yeah i think it washed its face didn't it, did, it? yeah it was a good time um my number 10 is the midnight club which oh, was yeah. on netflix yeah which is a horror mystery series by mike flanagan based on a book by christopher pike but also contains elements of his other books and it follows uh like a, a young girl called elonka who receives a terminal cancer diagnosis and she's sort of sent to live at a hospice for teenagers and she's introduced to the midnight club there which is a group of kids who meet each other at midnight to tell each other scary stories so it's a, a kind of there's you've got the overarching tale of the hospice because there's kind of a mystery there and then these mini stories that are told inside i am about whether to include this because i really don't think it's up there as one of flanagan's best but it is intended for a much younger audience and i think it grapples with some really powerful themes around you know, quite a frank dialogue about death and about dying at a young age mm-hmm. and death when you're a teenager. And it also has some really, really great performances. Um, Ruth Codd, who plays Anya, is this kind of prickly defensive kid in a wheelchair and her character's journey is a lot to watch. It's very slow burn. It's not actually very scary at... Well, it's not scary at all. It's on the definitely on the safer side. There's a lot of atmosphere, but nothing that creepy. So I think you know that's why some people haven't engaged with it probably because it's not aimed at us but i think the step the story of the characters flanagan's always very character-led anyway but the story of the characters is really interesting the jump scares and that kind of thing not so much the show has been cancelled so i think classic netflix Netflix. um you know had i don't know it only had like 18 million viewers in its first month or something so that's not enough well they're very much on Um, one at the moment when it comes to just having stuff and then cancelling it yeah straight away when it hasn't even like you know been watched completely um also i think flanagan is moving to amazon um after the the fall of usher Right. So uh, I wonder if that has anything to do with it. Um, yes, yeah, so that was my number 10. 
Lovely. Uh, my number nine is season two of Girls Five Ever, um, which I think again I have talked about briefly. I think you did. Yeah, I still need to watch that. It's really fun. It's just a very fun kind of comedy about a girl band from the early two thousands who become popular again because one of their songs goes viral after being sampled by a rapper. Um, some really brilliant performances in this from uh, people I love like Busy Phillips, Sarah Bareilles as well. Um, it's very much uh, in my lane comedy wise but yeah it's just like fun short little episodes just a good time I think it is worth watching um, interestingly it was cancelled at Peacock in the States but then it was picked up by Netflix oh. um, so they're going to be doing a, a third season that's good there, which be is interesting good. to see if it changes at all yeah I mean Tina Fey does have a, a deal with Netflix I think because obviously um, they also picked up Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt which was I think again was supposed to be on NBC in the States but then mm. wasn't so uh, yeah it'll be interesting to see what happens there going forward with any changes but uh, yeah just brilliant it's just a fun time just oh. really light hearted and um, I don't know upbeat my number nine is The Essex Serpent which is on Apple TV covered it in our mid-year roundup um, just a sucker for an atmospheric Victorian gothic drama and it maybe made me fancy Tom Hiddleston as a bloody hot in it tortured tortured vicar yeah in a nice jumper so that was my number nine (laughs) lovely stuff Um, my number eight is Stranger Things 4 Um, Netflix we obviously went over this as well just it was just a great time wasn't it oh my god every single time I'm like I'm not going to be invested anymore and then I really am we didn't expect to like it as much as we did I think I didn't think I'd be asked and then I was absolutely hooked justice for Eddie Munson I remember we talked a lot about how when it had been revealed how long the episodes were going to be and we were both just like absolutely CBA and then I had to really stop myself from blasting through all of it because I just had such a good time oh so such a good time my number eight is cabinet of curiosities which is season one on on netflix again um it's a, an anthology series developed by guillermo del toro and each episode and story is directed by a name from the genre so there are some sort of like newcomers and then some more established directors there as well there's some amazing directors included in this and they offer a real variety of sort of different approaches to the genre so there's more like cosmic horror there's ghost stories there's sort of body horror and monsters some episodes are obviously better than others but i think even the weakest have that really good production value and are worth watching anyway there's no i don't think there's any flops my favorites are the autopsy directed by david pryor who did the empty man which is very much a sort of cosmic horror the outside by anna lily amipour who uh, directed a girl walks home alone at night oh yeah brilliant and the murmuring by jennifer kent who directed the babadook just a joy love dipping into these um sort of a bit of i guess twilight zone-esque old-fashioned storytelling yeah i didn't get around to watching this however i did watch one episode when i stayed with our friend simon becky i watched the autopsy oh yeah which i thought was it was really clever actually i like it had creepy f- yeah it's really unsettling had f murray abraham in it who i love anyway so lovecraftian good... vibes yeah it was i think really i think you'd like the outside because it's like body horror mm-hmm. kind of very topical take on like it's a woman who feels really left out of her social group at work and is very socially awkward and mm. she wants to be like all the other women who are obviously getting surgery and using loads of like 
facial treatments and things and she gets gifted this like facial cream that they're all mad about and she starts using it and she's obviously really allergic to it but she refuses to stop using it because she's adamant that it will like you know she wants to be part of the group and she wants to be transformed and be pretty like the rest of them and it's like it's it's very weird it's very good um, my number seven is season two of White Lotus. Ooh, yeah. Um, which I definitely didn't enjoy as much as season one. We had talked about season one the year it came out, um, and we absolutely loved it. I did have a good time with season two. There was some obviously completely new cast apart from Jennifer Coolidge. Mm. Um, you had people like Aubrey Plaza, Michael Imperioli, Michael Imperioli, F, F. Murray Abraham was in it, yeah. Megan Fahey, uh, Theo James. Um, yes, yeah, so it was an interesting cast set in Sicily this time um, at another White Lotus resort. And I suppose this time around, I think it was probably trying to look at love and lust and relationships. Carnal relationships. Carnal relationships. Yeah, I think, I don't know, I, I remember saying to you when I started it that I just wasn't really enjoying it as much as I had wanted to. And then towards the end of the season, I do think it picks up the pace. Yeah, it does. Um, I mean, it was just a delight to see Michael Imperioli again. He's just wonderful. Well, I was very sad that we were losing Murray Bartlett, so I'm glad we got Michael Imperioli as a hot golden man <laughs> for me to lust after. As a nice switch, but but yeah, I mean, I, I had a good time with it. I just don't think it got to the heights of mm. season one for me. It's in my top ten, mm. and I had almost not bothered because yeah, I couldn't like, be bothered. Yeah. And then also you went enamoured with it, so yeah. I was like, mm. but then I got I watched it over Christmas, and I got absolutely hooked. I watched it in two days. I think if I had waited until the season was over and then just done what you did, yeah, and just blasted blast through, through it, I, I think I probably would have enjoyed it a lot more. But I think it's less funny than season one. Mm-hmm. But it does grow progressively more tense, as yes, you said. Yeah. You know that something's going to happen. Yep. And you know that a lot of these people are hiding some big secrets. And it doesn't go the way you'd expect. There's quite a shock ending, which is very brave for the the showmakers. Which I, again, I think is a very Mike White thing. I think yeah. he did that in season one, didn't mm-hmm. he? In terms of, like, I think it plays around with your expectations and takes you in directions that you don't necessarily anticipate. Mm. And he's also quite ruthless as well when it comes yeah. to decision making in a way that I find quite admirable. Yeah, really, definitely. In a, in a cool way. There's a big emphasis on class in this season yes, as well as gender. Absolutely. I think I was more interested in the women yep. in this season than the men. There's so a like, stronger characters. Yeah, like Valentina, the hotel manager, Lucia, um, Tanya, Portia. Um, so I, I really, I actually, I was surprised by how much I enjoyed it. I yeah. thought it was very well made. My number seven is almost cheating because I've got two episodes left to go. So it could all fall apart and I regret this in a year's time. Um, it's Interview with a Vampire. Oh! Which is season one. Um, annoyingly, there is no UK broadcaster for this yet. So I'm totally cheating and watching this through other means. Absolutely fine. Um, it's an AMC show created by Rolling Jones. Um, obviously based on the Anne Rice novel. We haven't had an adaptation of it since the film in 94, maybe. I was definitely in the camp of why are you bothering to adapt this? I thought it was going to be like teen television, but it isn't. It is really well done. So like the book and the film, it's sort of framed as a contemporary interview between Louis, who's a vampire and a journalist. And Louis telling the story of his sort of becoming a vampire, his relationship with his maker Lestat, the family they make together. 
They make some big switches in this show. So rather than an 18th century setting, we're in 20th century New Orleans. Louis is black and Louis and Lestat are very much in a relationship. So I think previously it's been kind of queer coded and it's been like, mm, do they, don't they? There's this mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. energy between Louis and Lestat. They are, they are basically like a married couple in this. And so there's this added sort of like marriage, sexual bond and sort of power dynamic behind that. Um, And then because Louis is black, he's also trying to find equality and find himself in a society that favours white people. So there's a lot of power play there. And it's very dark and sexy because everyone's really hot in it, which is great. Jacob Anderson, Sam Reed, hot, very hot. Um, it's quite grim, it's very cynical, so um, I thought it was a very good reimagining for a new audience. I've heard lots of good things about it. Do you know what, it's quite good. Yeah, I'm, I'm really fascinated. Having so, fun. Uh, there we go. Uh, my number six is season three of Barry, um, mm. which is the HBO drama comedy starring Bill Hader about a hired hitman turned jobbing actor who has to kind of grapple with the mental weight of his criminal career mm. versus by trying him trying to kind of have normality in his day-to-day life. Um, I just think it's one of the best written, well, most well-executed TV shows around. I really love that each episode is only half an hour. Yeah. Um, because I feel like it's a type of show that on any other network, perhaps under any other creator would be like 45 minutes yeah, an be hour drawn out yeah and I don't far. think I think part of why it packs a punch for me so much is that they are very much bite-sized episodes and there are just some really stellar performances in it and um I don't know I'm just really interested to sort of see where it goes as it progresses I don't know what the kind of number of seasons they're planning on doing but as a show that I started out watching solely because I like watching Bill Hader um I've just really enjoyed the kind of the way that the narrative has gone really and the way that the story is building and I'm or with each season I'm just kind of fascinated to see what they do next it's always consistently in your top five when yeah I love it um, no, my number six is Stranger Things Justice for Eddie Munson do you see how much they're all getting paid for this final season yeah it's like seven million each seven although million each. Um, Millie Bobby Brown has got an undisclosed sum so I think we need to start not that they need any more money, but we should petition to pay the full cast as much as Mindy Bobby yeah. Brown because they are doing the heavy lifting. Why is Winona Ryder? No one's watching it for 11. Why is Winona Ryder and David Harbour only getting nine mil each? I Come mean, on. only. Only. I mean, honestly, <laughs> pennies. <laughs> Wouldn't get out of bed for that. Um, my number five is season two of Industry, which is a, a collab production between BBC and HBO. It's set in the world of London finance at an investment bank called Pierpoint. Um, I started watching season one this last year, sorry, on a complete punt. I think basically because I was just desperate for something. You missed Succession, didn't you? Yeah, I missed Succession. Essentially, I really missed Succession. I needed a show where everyone was consistently awful and I hated everyone, but I was so compelled to finish it because the pacing and the writing and the storytelling is just so brilliant. So I mainlined season one and then when season two came out as well, I just like blasted my way through that as well it's just really good mm. like it's just re- it's completely like if you liked succession i don't give a shit about finance i find anyone that works in finance and things like stock exchange and playing around with the markets and stuff like that i don't understand it no. i think it's when you've got an excessive amount of money it's just a bit like i don't know 
not my vibe but it's it absolutely to me has the same energy of succession oh yeah in that like all of these people are sort of awful and then you end up rooting for people that are essentially morally bankrupt on the basis that (laughs) they're like slightly nice slightly better yeah but it's just really it's just really good i just really i think it's some of the best writing on television at the moment and um had a bit of a reset at the end of this season with a few kind of characters being hung out to dry and um i'm again much like barry actually i'm always fascinated to see where they go next with this and um yeah it's basically my like when succession isn't on i will watch industry my number five is Derry girls season three which is on channel four which we covered in our moody roundup i'm gutted this show is over it brought me lots of joy This season had some of my favourite episodes. It was hilarious and endearing and nostalgic, but also quite sad and tragic too. Um, And I just love Sister Michael. She's an absolute legend. I still haven't watched it, you know. It's so good. I've only, the episodes I've only watched are with you when I've been here. Yeah. At your house. Uh, My number four is season one of Yellow Jackets. This is a bit of a cheat because you had it in your top. um, It's not a cheat for you because I think it was... I think it came out in the UK. Yeah, it did. It came out in the UK in 2022. Also, the season didn't finish until the end of January last year either. So it kind of, it it weirdly straddled the new year, which doesn't really ever happen for shows. I know. And Um, I put it in my top of 2021. And you still had to finish it. Yeah, and I still had to finish it and I fucking loved it. It was so good. so my shit. It was really funny because when we did our 2021 roundup, I hadn't started it yet at all. Um, and you were like extolling its virtues and I was like oh god I, I need to get to it I know I will love it um, and I did I'm so excited for the next me season me too there's some season. amazing people in it I just I think I, you know I know we talked about when you were watching it this kind of the, the way the, the brilliance of how it casts its young actors in the parts of it that are set in the 90s yeah alongside the parts that are set in the current day um the pairings of those oh, actors is so, so good there's so some of the best on. pairings i've ever seen yeah absolutely so that was what was quite fun actually finishing season one and then thinking about season two was thinking about like okay well who which of the grown-ups have they not cast yeah yeah and who who could they possibly got yeah I, who's I left that who's not gonna make it yeah who's gonna get eaten so yeah can't wait for season two in march ah very excited. Um, my, my number four is The White Lotus. Yeah. Good, Good. time. Covered that. Good time. Uh, my number three is uh, We Own This City, which is, uh, I think I talked about an I'm You did. Yeah, HBO did. crime drama set in Baltimore, starring John Bernthal, um, from the same people who did The Wire. Just some really great storytelling, really. Just perfect. I love that kind of... I think that that fact that it was very, very much harking back to things like The Wire is partly why I enjoyed it so much. Mm. And um, who doesn't love it when John Bernthal plays an absolute shithead? Oh, he's so good at it. He's so good at it. That's still on my list to watch, actually. I'll get there. Uh, My number three is Station Eleven, which I think is available in the UK on Stars Play, so like Prime. Covered in our mid-year roundup. Again, a sort of post-apocalyptic dystopian miniseries. Feels like it fills a lost desk gap or some, maybe something like The Walking Dead, but far more thoughtful in its approach. And actually quite hopeful for a film, a film, a miniseries, which is about an influenza that kills everyone. So um, again, another, another piece of pop culture that talks about um, art and culture and the creation of art and how arts and culture will live on even in a post-apocalyptic world. 
Yeah, I'm quite desperate to watch this, so I sort of need to get around really to it. It's really good. I think at the time it came out, I was just like, I don't think I can do anything that's too COVID adjacent. No, I did not think I would be able to get through it, but actually the the, the devastating flu very much sits in the background oh, of nice. this. Oh, nice, okay. It feels like that's not actually mentioned a lot, and there's not a lot of kind of people being sick, because actually the people featured are people who are almost like immune and, and you know, are not getting sick. Yeah. So um, they're survivors and they're rebuilding and sort of reimagining the world anew. And it's kind of what happens after rather than, oh, look at everyone coming down with this thing like a zombie virus. So um, my number two is uh, The Traitors on BBC. Lovely. I've, everyone's raging about Steph, this. So. who would have thought that I would become so consumed by a reality TV programme that... It's not the only one you're consumed by, is it? No, it's Big not. fan of Gogglebox. I love Gogglebox now. Um, anyway, Traitors is... Uh, it's kind of like a, a... It's very much a psychological reality show. 22 strangers um, are brought together in a castle in the Scottish Highlands to complete uh, a series of challenges and tasks um, to get together as a team. However, amongst the 22, um, some people have been selected as traitors and they have to try and betray the others to attempt to win the prize of £120,000. So they sabotage one another, pick off contestants. Every night someone is murdered, which just means they're removed from the show because they've been elected. It's like absolutely ruthless like reality tv where people are just pitted against each other and they tr- they're for- forming bonds and friendships with one another they're telling each other they love each other and it's like you met two days ago Ooh. it's just all of this like absolutely prime like so, uh, like sociological psychological like experiment of what happens when you just put strangers together in a scenario like this um just Fucking compelling! Oh, Loved it. Painful. Hosted by Claudia Winkleman. Who I, I mean, adore. we share we share very similar fringes. So one of my fringe guys. Uh, yeah, it's just brilliant. What what great television it was. I've heard so many people being like genuinely, surprised and enthralled. By I this. honestly would not have entertained this, but it was just genuinely so compelling. I'm glad. What a good time. Um, my number two is the bear. Yeah. My number one and my number two are sort of interchangeable, really. Okay. But season season one of the bear Disney Plus. We discussed it in our November under review episode. Um, I've watched it twice. You've watched it three times. Probably. I have. Yeah. Brilliant. Can't wait for season two. Um, my number one is the bear. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so uh, don't Ta-da. need to monologue about it any longer. Um, I cannot implore you enough to watch the bear. It is so good. I think about Jeremy Allen White on an almost daily basis. Yeah. Uh, just yes, hair. yes, chef. Honestly, got into such a habit of shouting yes, Jeff at people. Yes, Jeff. It's just oh, fabulous one-liners. What a delight. Um, my number one is Dark Winds season one. You loved this. I loved this. I watched it twice because I watched it with Wes. And uh, this is another one that's not released in the UK yet, which is really naughty. It frustrates me so much when this happens. It doesn't even have a broadcast date yet. It's so annoying. Um, another like we've discussed a love of sort of good old detective stories or procedurals mm-hmm. before um, something kind of reminiscent of True Detective or Mayor of East Town, and this is it um, it's a psychological thriller created by Graham Rowland and it's based on a series of novels um, the Leap Horn and Chi series it's on AMC and it stars Zane McLaren who is a very hot older man Kiowa Gordon, another hot younger man, Noah Emmerich, Jason Ma- uh, Jessica Matten, Rain Wilson, and Deanna Allison. 
and it's set on it's a police procedural it's set on this kind of remote outpost of the navajo nation near monument valley in the early 70s and it follows lieutenant joe leaphorn of the tribal police and he's investigating a series of crimes and he's joined by a new deputy jim chi and it's a kind of good old story of evil and sort of battles between sort of like professional battles and impersonal ghosts and that kind of thing so if you like a clever crime thriller which involves a whole community of characters this is for you it's got brilliant performances zane mclaren as or zane mclaren i believe as um joe leaphorn and jessica matten are sort of standouts for me the cinematography is beautiful and it has a lot to say around the sort of depiction of indigenous people and their treatment by white america and it features first nations actors a holy first nation writers room and navajo elders as background extras as well so it's really good and i'm very excited for season two yeah, I mean, I've I've heard really good things about it, mostly via you. But I did one of the things I the standout things I had heard about it was actually how it's like been very good on a kind of representation yeah. point of view, particularly not only on the actual actors but also the back of house, mm. the kind of the screenwriters and everything like that. So that's just cool. Yeah, Gen- and like, I think by really bringing cool. in like a lot of the practices and beliefs yeah. of. Um, that community it adds another like really fresh or interesting perspective yeah. on a kind of crime thriller because for example the 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 female deputy in the the, the tribal police she i can't remember her name now but she you know she's um she works for the police she's you know she's got a very sort of practical scientific kind of methodical approach but she also has a lot of kind of more spiritual beliefs that are almost at odds with her profession but she's sort of dealing with them both intertwined so you know is something because you know does something happen because people are evil or because there is a you know it's kind of that tension between the two like your beliefs in your profession um and i think that like there's a really interesting exploration of that that makes it very very rich and kind of makes it stand out from a lot of other kind of police procedurals that are out there so when it eventually comes out in the uk i would definitely recommend it absolutely um do you have any honorable mentions at all i do although they're not like particularly strong but um i did enjoy shining girls season one which i mentioned in our media roundup along with uh severance and then Russian Doll season two, which was in your number ten. Um, and then of course I loved Euphoria season two. Can't help it. Just like absolute. I still haven't watched it. I was just, it's just absolutely ridiculous. laziness on my part. So ridiculous, isn't it? It's silly. Um, and it's not as good as season one at all. But still had a good time. Um, and then I caught up with my uh, lovely teen show One of Us Is Lying season two uh, the other you day. Love it. Blasted through that. It's just Pretty Little Liars. Have you finished Riverdale yet? No. One day. Yeah, one day. I will one catch day. up. Um, I have got the rehearsal, which is Nathan Fielder's. Oh, of course, uh, show Wes's like that. HBO, uh, very strange program. Um, I didn't love it as much as I wanted to. I think it starts really, really strong, and then kind of just gets um, goes down a direction that I think is very clever, but I didn't love. Okay. Um, but then it's Nathan Fielder, so I will watch anything where he's concerned. Uh, season two of Starstruck on BBC and HBO. Rose Matafeo's kind of rom com story about a uh, woman who falls in love with a, a kind of a Hollywood actor and how they negotiate the kind of she's a normie he's famous dynamic which is she's brilliant I just I mean that her. happens to us all the time yeah, so constantly yeah. um, I watched 
um, How To with John Wilson, which is a kind of... John Wilson is a documentarian who lives in New York City and each episode is structured around a particular theme and it's basically him creating a narrative out of a lot of footage that he's just taken on mm. the streets. It's really, really well executed. He's, he's really interesting. It's very kind of Nathan Fieldery in a way. But I watched both those seasons back to back. I think I think season two came out in December 2021, but it only came on to iPlayer last year, so that's my excuse. And this is cheating a little bit because I have only finished it in the last week, but I caught up with season one of Slow Horses, which is Apple TV's oh, yeah. crime drama. Yeah, um, I do really want to watch about that. About I think you'd really, really like it, starring Gary Oldman, uh, Kristen St- Thomas, Jack Loudon. Um, it's genuinely very very good i've been quite skeptical because i'd heard lots of praise about it and because it's apple tv i just hadn't bothered yes um but i did kind of catch up with it in the early days of or in the last week or so um and it's great looking forward to finishing the rest of that i'll make sure i get started on that music so i i don't like to rank music i find it really difficult rank music i don't know um, so I've done I have done 10 records I really enjoyed perfect um, they're not really in an order do you want to just do yours then yeah and then I'll do mine let's do that yeah. let's do that um, so a lot of these I sort of covered in our mid-year roundup I think so I will I felt like the, the first half of 2022 was really strong music wise and then the last fewer half things, there were fewer yeah. things for me I agree so my sort of top 10 in no particular order records based on how much I've listened to them, really, are um, Moon is Self-Titled, which is the first on Phoebe Bridges' Satisfactory label. It's very synth-pop, great fun. Wet Legs Self-Titled, which is their first studio album, kind of British indie rock pop. Both of those were mentioned in my mid-year roundup, but again, a very catchy, poppy, young female lineup great stuff Mitski who we've talked about a few times Laurel Hell covered in our roundup in July um, her sixth studio album indie and kind of synth pop there's a lot of synth pop this year I think Mm. I liked Viagra Boys which was uh, is sort of post-punk with a bit of an injection of jazz it was their third album it's very satirical but good fun one I hadn't mentioned that came out a bit later was Ethel Kane's Preacher's Daughter which I think I mentioned Ethel Cohen's LP Inbred last year. It's kind of pop mixed with Southern Gothic, heavily influenced by her up her religious upbringing and her relationship with God. Um, it's been on a lot of best of lists, which I'm really pleased to see. Pitchfork are called a sort of American Gothic Lana Del Rey, which is probably quite fitting. Ethel Kane uh, is only 24, which is insane. Uh, Isn't that and, wild? Oh God, honestly. And her songwriting is very rich thematically, and it's sort of this balancing of kind of darkness and light and suffering and hope and kind of stuff. Um, she has a very beautiful, ethereal voice. The music's quite dark, sometimes quite industrial, quite ghostly, but then quite poppy. So I'm quite fascinated by her as a musician. So I really like Preacher's Daughter. I really liked Maggie Rogers' Surrender, which I wasn't expecting. Maggie Rogers wasn't really on my radar. Didn't really listen to her first record, but I've enjoyed Surrender fairly consistently since it came out, especially in the warmer months. It's co-produced with Kid Harpoon, who um, of Harry Styles' production fame, so it kind of makes sense. Sort of pop, folky, indie vibe, quite Americana. There's a few Americana style things on my list this year. I think last year was quite grungy and this year is a bit more 
folky Americana. Um, she has a very big, beautiful voice, which I like. Boy Harsher, The Runner, which I mentioned before, um, sort of dark wave industrial synth pop, very Lynchian in feel. This is a, a very thematic album and is the soundtrack to a short film by the same name. Uh, something we haven't had a chance to discuss yet, but we've been waiting for forever is Scissors record. Finally. Finally, Thank the sophomore God. record from Scissor, SOS. We were obsessed with Control. I listen to Control like weekly. All the time. Still. Waited for this record for so long. I think it's very good. I'm quite surprised at the mix of sounds and genres on this one. I feel like I was actually listening to it uh, on my way to see you earlier. And I... Control felt really consistent in tone consistent and, R&B. and sound. Mm-hmm. Consistent But... Um, SOS feels like more all over the place, but in like a, an interesting way. I think it's a grower in that respect. Yeah, definitely. Um, there's kind of some pretty bold numbers like F2F, which is w- like really pop punk <laughs> randomly. Everyone loves it. Uh, it's probably my least favorite. Yeah, I'm saying, I'm saying. Um, Ghost and Machine featuring Phoebe Bridges, which is a collab I wasn't expecting. No, I didn't expect that. But I think her songwriting is so tight. And it's also very personal and I just very, I very much understand the plethora of TikTok videos of young women like crying whilst listening to Special yeah. when it came out. I just find it utterly charming, very talented. She's a very big name right now, but I, I, I just think she's very, very good and very talented. Um, Angel Olsen's Big Time, which we've discussed before in our mid-year roundup. Um, one of my favourite artists of recent years. She's journeyed through quite a few sounds. This is quite different to Whole New Mess. It's it's more country. I think she says it's not country, but it's not not country. Sort of joyful and sad. Sounds beautiful live. I'm really glad we got to see. I am so glad we got to see her. She's tremendous live. Wasn't Love it her. insane? Like yeah. she just, I, I genuinely couldn't believe how absolutely like blow for blow the same. Yeah, she was live. Big beautiful voice. Huge. Very big production. Well, I say big production. It just sounded very big on stage, um, but just so well put together. So I really enjoyed that. Um, and of course, Harry Styles. It was the year of Harry's house. Um, we reviewed. Harry's House around June time, more synthy pop, some bigger sounds on there like Satellite. And I think over time I've actually skipped, I haven't listened to it for a while, but I've skipped certain tracks less over time. And Mm. I actually think it comes together a lot better than I thought on first listen. I think initially there was really strong tracks and then a couple I was less fussed about, but I do think it comes together quite well i think for me seeing him live really helped with the songs that i was like less fussed about yeah um and i think again we talked about that perhaps is that actually like it really helped seeing those songs live because i think they just gave a whole other life to them in like a really yeah, fun way yeah yeah and nice memory so um obviously i love him so they're my sort of probably top 10 of the year how about yours i did rank mine but i am now second guessing it so i'm going to use this as an excuse to get out of you could have got away with it and just gone these aren't ranked i know so the my 10 is as follows i really enjoyed blending by high viz i find high viz really hard to describe they're kind of brit poppy they're a band who are born from many hardcore bands in the uk so it's really interesting to sort of see like what happens when uh, people from hardcore bands kind of age and get into different things musically um, blending is a really really 
kind of solid record for me. I like it less than their first record, but it's just been such a nice kind of accompaniment um, through the latter part of this year. Um, I'm hopefully seeing them live in February, so that'll be fun. I haven't seen them before, so looking forward to that. Um, Big Time by Angel Olsen, as mm-hmm. discussed. It really was just magnificent seeing her live, mm-hmm. and that record has taken on extra depths for me now, mm-hmm. having seen her um, play a lot of those songs. Um, SOS by Scissor, again, just what a delight to finally have that record. Finally! I just feel like it'll be nice to kind of just retire um, control for a little bit. Um, I really enjoyed Lad Ash by a band called Real Lies. Um, it's their ste- second studio LP. They're a kind of North London duo. It's kind of electronic dance kind of club. They remind me a lot of New Order in the streets in mm. a way. It's just really nice. It's just like a really cool kind of record I've really enjoyed particularly. I think it came out in April and it wasn't something I really familiarised myself until the autumn. But now for me, it's so twinned with kind of like dark evenings mm-hmm. and like walking home just a really really cool vibe um really enjoyed that alex g's ninth mm. studio album god save the animals um alex g is fascinating for me in that he continually seems to reinvent his sound um his last record before this reminded me so much of elliot smith in a kind of very interesting way um and this has kind of gone in a sort of different direction mm-hmm. Interestingly, he did the score for um, We're All Going to the World's Fair, which is a film we watched this year, and that was really kind of creepy and atmospheric and unsettling. And there are parts of this record, God Save the Animals, that are kind of like that, but it's kind of all over the place in tone and kind of musically sound-wise, actually, but I, I, I like that. Mm. Um, it's just brilliant Tom Berlin's second studio LP I don't know who needs to hear this Um, I really liked this it came out in February at the start of this year and I think I mentioned it in our mid-year we had the opportunity to see her live because she supported Angel Olsen delightful duo so that was a nice little treat of course Harry's house Um, what more is there to say just real nice summer summer thing that was for us um, Big Thief's fifth studio album, which was a double LP, Dragon New Warm Mountain, I Believe in You. Just brilliant, kind of this country folk kind of fusion. Very much a spring record for me. Enjoyed rinsing that to death. Um, Laurel Hell, Mitski's sixth studio LP. We saw her support Harry Styles, in we fact. We did. There's been some nice coming together of yeah, artists nice this year. Nice uh, overlapping of Venn diagrams. And undoubtedly my favourite record of the year is um, Skinty Fear which is the third studio LP from Fontaine's DC Um, it's been a real Fontaine's heavy year for me really this record in particular made me go back and just absolutely rinse the previous two LPs they're an Irish band and I just they kind of have this I don't know shoegazy indie Brit poppy kind of sound I saw them live finally at Latitude in the summer and they were just like so phenomenally good that actually again it really made me go back and kind of just reframe their albums because having sort of seen their live arrangements of a lot of the songs it was just phenomenal and that album I've just come back to again and again since it came out in April and the artwork as well I think is just amazing. Mm, it's good artwork, isn't it? Nice kind of uh, red and mustardy yellow and a nice deer on the front. Uh, <laughs> who, who wouldn't like that? Um, it's interesting, actually, how a live experience can really affect your experience of a record. Because on the flip side, I think we both mentioned Just Mustard in our mid-year roundup mm-hmm. as a record that I really like. But I didn't love them live. No. So... 
it sort of put me off a little bit. It's interesting, isn't it? I feel like 2022 was the kind of first proper year of getting to experience live music again, really. And I'd really forgotten how much I missed doing that and Mm. how it can be both useful and also detrimental I saw finally saw um Julian Baker again in May this year that was the first time I went to a show since 2020 Mm. um and it was phenomenal to sort of see her perform live the songs from the record that I'd loved the previous Mm. year from Little Oblivions um so that was kind of one of those like oh yeah this is what it's like to actually experience again I saw Phoebe Bridges in the summer as well Mm. and again it was wonderful to sort of see those songs that I'd obsessed over during sort of Covid periods but yeah Just Mustard was one where I was like oh okay I feel a bit let down yeah a little bit deflated some notable mentions I put Alex G God Save the Animals which I think I sort of you'd recommended Mm -hmm. and I really enjoyed same with Steve Lacey Gemini Wright such a good record funk rock R&B I really enjoyed painting my gate listening to that (laughs) record um, Kailani, Blue Water Road, I really liked. Um, VR Sex, Rough Dimension, which is kind of acid punk, heavier sibling of Drab Majesty. Zola Jesus, Archon. Um, I find Zola Jesus very hit and miss, mm. but I like this record a lot more. Um, Soft Kill, Canary Yellow is very traditional sound for them. So nothing particularly new for Soft Kill, but kind of post-punk cure-esque. So those were really notables. Oh, as well as uh, I did... I did enjoy Alexis on Fire's Otherness, which was an unexpected joy. Hey, I listened to, to that it's after better. you recommended it in our mid-year, and it's great. It's really Fun good. Fun time, that. Um, and also Charlie XCX Crash. We we had a good time seeing her live as well. She was so, very fun Good time, live, great she? pop music. Um, some on- other honourables from me, uh, the Black Country New Roads Ants from up there was slightly bittersweet after it was released um, in the aftermath of their previous singer Isaac leaving, but it's a really lovely lovely record um drug church's hygiene i absolutely loved um midnight's taylor swift's um of lp course. great time i fucking loved the renaissance beyonce's record i've listened to it so much yeah see i haven't it's i just think it's brilliant i think it's so influenced by like chicago house music everything like that i had a great time with that over the summer lost bitros's uh, let the festivities begin i saw them at latitude in the summer and then saw them again in september this year in Norwich um, and they're just absolutely fun time really really recommend that one um, Soaks If I Never Know You Like This Again I absolutely loved um, Old Fire's record Voids was really great atmospheric moody features appearances from members of Warpaint and people like Bill Callahan. and yeah that Charlie XCX record I've come back to quite a lot actually yeah I haven't fun. listened to it for ages but I had a good time when That's it came bangers yeah books i think i speak for us both when i say that we have both not read as much this year my reading really fell off yeah mine was the pits awful pits worst Um, year since time began i think since time began 33 years ago yeah i a i have not read loads this year and i haven't read loads that came out in 2022 We've both, funnily enough, highlighted nine books from 2022. Very weird. Couldn't quite make it to ten. No. um, That we both liked enough to put in a top nine. (laughs) Although I haven't ranked mine. They're just books. Mine's just listed one to nine in no preferential order, really. Yeah, so is mine. Um, I guess they're kind of the stronger ones. Yeah, maybe I I can do a sort of loose, maybe... um, Now I'm wondering whether I've actually done eight. So... (laughs) Turns out, I think maybe I've done eight. So okay. that's even better, isn't Brilliant. it? Good Lord. I thought I did nine. Oh, well. That or I've accidentally 
deleted off. one since we started this conversation. So Brilliant. that's quite possible. So do you want to do yours first? Yes. Yes. Um, so I will go in order from... We're saying worst to best is stupid, isn't it? Because I, I liked them all. So Ryan Pinkard wrote a 33 and a third book about the Nationals record boxer. 33 and a third books are kind of like long form essays about particular albums over time. It's a series that I've always seen in record shops and always seen in bookshops, but have not ever bought one despite the fact that like many of my favorite an- albums have been written about but i was really interested to see um how he would kind of frame that particularly integral record in uh the nationals discog and it was just wonderful who doesn't love reading about like the creation of one of their favorite records so if you happen to be a, an obsessive of the national it's definitely worth ringing definitely worth reading something else i read this year is um this is i'm also just going to say as well literally like two of mine are from last year so there go. <laughs> i just didn't really read many 2022 books so this from my point of view is just books i enjoyed in 2022 and um, i finally got around to reading uh, the trip to echo springs by olivia lang which came out in mm. 2013 but it's about she traces kind of several right male writers who had problems with drink over their lives. People like Ernest Hemingway, F. Scott Fitzgerald, um, Tennessee Williams, Raymond Carver, and John Cheever and John Berryman. It's a kind of a travel memoir because she goes on trips across the United States on trains and buses and everything. But she's sort of thinking about these particular writers and what it was, what it was within them that led them to drink and how it affected their art and how so much of their art was fueled by being like white men with drink problems mm. um it was actually genuinely very fascinating i can't remember why i finally picked it up i think i'd read some john cheever at the end of 2021 um and i just had realized that i'd not got around to reading this so this was a good excuse um i also read the sarah book by scott mcclanahan um it's kind of a famed book within the alt lit scene it came out in 2015 it's a, a memoir Uh, A thinly veiled memoir, shall we say, inspired by the demise of his relationship with his wife that was called Sarah, how they came together, the kind of trials and tribulations of what it was like to be married to one another and their relationship and how it was affected by having children, etc, etc. I didn't expect to enjoy it as much as I did, but I very much loved it. Um, I read My Phantoms by Gwendolyn Riley, which is interesting, uh, you mentioned... Um, Joanna Hogg and the way that she kind of captures the mother-daughter relationship Mm. and maternal daughter and My Phantoms is very much about a woman's relationship with her mother and how that kind of looms quite large over her adult life and what it's Mm. like to kind of be an adult and acknowledge that you've got a fraught relationship with your mother and how you distance yourself and how you can kind of excommunicate yourself and and what the knock-on effect of that is um Gwendolyn Riley was someone whose work I'd been meaning to read for a while um, Mm. so I'm really pleased that I got around to reading that Cursed Bunny by Bora Chung um it's a selection of short stories um by the Korean writer um they're all very weird and creepy and unsettling which is actually kind of one of my favorite types of short stories when things get kind of weird slightly supernatural kind of body horror-y kind of psychological um I think you bought me this yeah 
Maybe. I can't remember actually, but yeah. it is very it was in my list as well. It's very good. It's very um like you say, it relates there are a lot of stories there around kind of women's bodies, gender yeah. roles and expectations. Loved it. Um the story about the head in the toilet I am yet to recover from. So Isn't it a lot? Mortifying. Very Ooh. scary. Oh, very, very unsettling. Um I loved This Time Tomorrow by Emma Straub. I think she's just a very like fun and engaging writer um this time tomorrow is kind of like a time travel narrative um about a woman living in new york who is turning 40 so is obviously doing a lot of kind of retrospective thinking about herself and her relationship with her father and she kind of stumbles on her childhood home and it sort of takes a trip down memory lane literally um, it's just a great time I enjoyed reading that um, an audiobook I absolutely loved was uh, Comedy 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 which is Bob Odenkirk's autobiography ah. um, I find him fascinating as a kind of comedy figure and a writer and an actor and also it was just lovely to hear him sort of reading his own story I think I probably wouldn't have enjoyed it half as much if I'd actually read it so that was one of my sort of favourite audiobook experiences of last year um, I finally got round to reading Dan Ozzy's Sellout which is an oral history about the transition that many bands make from independent record labels mm. to major labels so he's writing specifically about band's first major label releases so he's covering bands like Green Day, Thursday, My Chemical Romance, hmm. I think Rise Against are in there as well so it's very much my shit, um, I love an oral history and I think that Dan Ozzy really executes that in a very fun and engaging way and undoubtedly the best thing I read last year which actually came out in 2021 but I got it for Christmas that year and I finished it in January was A Swim in the Pond in the rain by george saunders in which he takes russian short stories shares them in the book so you have this kind of parallel between the original texts and then he unpicks why they work so well Mm. what's so compelling about them for me it was fascinating because george saunders is you know teaches english literature and russian literature in upstate New York and it's one of those things where it's like god imagine getting taught by George Saunders and this book is like exactly what I imagine it's like to be Mm. taught by him because he's sort of taking the mastery of short story craft that he has and looking back at the masters of Russian literature and acknowledging like how it's influenced his writing Mm. and how their writing generally has influenced the writing of so many other creators and I just didn't I had never read any Russian literature in my life to this point but actually it was really interesting kind of having to sort of sit and read those stories and then read his like analysis yeah, and unpicking yeah. of it it wasn't mm. something I definitely when the book was released I was 50 50 on whether I could be bothered with it but because it was George Saunders I really pushed myself um and I loved it it was just it's really it's just really brilliant a really brilliant read so books from 2022 that I really enjoyed. The Trees by Percival Everett. It was long listed for the Booker Prize about a series of sort of brutal murders in Mississippi and a kind of dissection of racism and police brutality across decades. It's very black humour. I don't read a lot of humorous books, a lot of comedy, books with any kind mm. of comedy in them. I find comedy in literature it's not my fave um but i think I it's quite hard to do sometimes very hard to do and this did it quite well actually so um i enjoyed that water shall refuse them by lucy mcknight hardy um is a kind of folk 
it's kind of folk horror but eco horror it's about a family who moved to the remote welsh borders into a small village because they've had a, a, tr- a very tragic accident one of the children has died and so they they kind of move away to try and start afresh and it's from the perspective of the other daughter um and she yeah it's kind of around how um they can't quite run away from their grief in this small village very good the raptures by jan carson i thought was really impressive um it's about a community in northern ireland that's struck down by this mysterious illness that keeps killing children within the same class and there's one child that is seemingly immune or doesn't get sick she's the only one that's not getting sick and it kind of follows the whole community and moves between perspectives between this young girl her parents some of the other parents some of the children um around kind of what's happening in that community and so i thought that was really great our wives under the sea by julia armfield which is the debut novel from julia who wrote a a short story collection called salt slow that i also really enjoyed it's kind of magical realism i guess it's a it's a story of a woman whose her wife comes back from um, a deep sea mission and there's this been this big accident and she comes back and the narrator this woman realizes that her wife seems to be turning into a mermaid um, which is very good. I read over Christmas an anthology of essays called It Came From The Closet by Joe, well, edited by Joe Valese, which is 25 essays from queer and trans writers who are considering films, horror films that have sort of, it, it says on the book, deepened, amplified and illuminated their own experiences. So there's essays, they're very personal essays, actually. It's not just queer readings of films it is personal experiences and how these experiences were navigated with the help of or you know expressed they found sort of expression through or you know they look back and they've they find sort of similarities between these films and their own very personal experiences so there's essays on sort of jennifer's body and the exorcist jaws even um some really 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 impressive writing in there i think all of the writers included are very very talented hex by jenny fagan i really loved luck and booth which was jenny fagan's novel from last year and this is a kind of novella it's been a year of witchcraft and i think it's very interesting that we i mean witchcraft is always a popular theme in, in across all kind of culture really but it's definitely we're in a period where um people are drawing a lot of parallels between the treatment of women in you know 2022 during covid and sort of drawing links between the present day and the treatment of women in the past so this is one of those books that is a kind of it's framed as a communication between um, a modern day woman and a woman accused of being a witch during the north berwick witch trials which were i think maybe 16th century and it's sort of a reflection on the similarities between the two women's experiences it's very very effective i also put cursed bunny by bora chung translated by anton her that head in the toilet story just oh it's really funny because i didn't at the time i wasn't like oh my god this is incredible one of the best things i've ever read and yet i thought about those stories like so mm. often this it's year it's a very that good one short in story particular collection yeah. is re- yeah it was oh, really really freaky good. Um, and then my favourite book of the year, probably, is um, Orpheus Builds a Girl by Heather Parry. Um, it's a debut, and it's very much in the style of a Victorian gothic. It's kind of got a diary structure, really harks back to a style of writing that we don't really get anymore. It's quite grim, uh, it's quite creepy, and I absolutely loved it. I thought it was delicious, really. So um, that was great. 
And then books published not this year, a few shout outs. So there's three that I really enjoyed um, that are a bit older. So I read Darling Days, a memoir by Io Tillett Wright about their experience growing up in New York and their relationship with their mother, which I was... I bloody read this. It's really good. It's been sat on my, like, very pill for a yeah, million years. I thought it was very... I don't know, I just find it very absorbing, actually. I, yeah, I... Um, there was that podcast series that Io did um, a few years ago mm-hmm. um, about their mum and her relationship... To an um, old boyfriend. To an old boyfriend mm. that I really, really enjoyed. And then off the back of that, I was like, I need to read this book. It's a really good book. Um, and it came out in 2016. So I finally read it this year. I definitely recommend reading it. Um, Chasing the Boogeyman, which is by Richard Chismar, which came out last... Uh, well, I say last year, 2021, which is a fictional novel, but it's framed like a true crime mystery a la... God, what's the Golden State Killer, the Michelle McManus whatever that book was called that's now left my brain. Um, It's in the style of that, but I thought it was absolutely brilliant. It was probably one of my favourite books of the year. I'll Be Gone in the Dark. I'll Be Gone in the Dark. Um, Very similar to that. Just fantastic. So impressive. And then uh, I read a number of Stephen King books this year, as I always do. Um, I finally read On Writing, a memoir on craft. Yeah, which is from 2000. And um, for a non-fiction book about writing, I thought it was brilliant. I thought it was really, really brilliant. And it kind of reflects on his um, own journey with writing and growing up and some of the key moments in his life, including a big accident that he had in the 2000s. I think whilst he was writing this book and then also like practical advice on writing, which I thought was very effective. And then there's two books that are coming out in 2023 that I may well end up talking about again. One is Now She Is Witch, again, um, a kind of medieval uh, witch revenge story by Kirsty Logan and Shy by Max Porter. I'm so jealous uh, you've read We'll this. end up talking about Shy. We definitely will. I, I'm very confident it will be my un, on my end of year list next year. So um, hooray for that. So I pulled together some top 10 moments oh, of the on. year. I didn't. So um, no, I, but I, I think a lot of them... I think you'll speak for both of us. Some of them will be very similar. And I thought it was quite nice. And as I was thinking through, I couldn't remember everything, obviously, that's (laughs) happened. But things that have stuck with me in the year. Yeah. um, And also, I kept thinking of things that were shit about the year. So I've actually done quite a thumbs up and a thumbs down. Love that. Go on. Um, So to recap our year in podcasting and pop culture, some of the things for me that stood out. I mean, obviously, I put Timothy Chalamet at the top. Everything from the tiny little waist at the Academy Awards curly hair to being reunited with Luca God. to um, me being physically manhandled by security really, again really a seminal moment at in, London uh, Film Festival I just I won't get off that red carpet when he's there no. I just want to watch so um, and every single press junket with Taylor Russell has been an absolute oh, joy good, I love them together and yeah lurking on the red carpet for bones and all again brilliant um, Colin Farrell season fuck me his endearing press tour with Brendan Gleeson. Everything about him just being lovely, very charming, extremely sexy, the nicest person. And also this very recent interview <laughs> with him and Emma Thompson. Honestly, the dream. Just absolute, the flirtation between them is off the scale. The He's aud- just... The audacity of, of Emma Thompson to actively ask Colin Farrell about his sex life. Like, fair play. I just, I, I love it. She's doing God's work. Um, He's incredibly hot 
Um, Chris Pine and Harry Spitgate. I did not enjoy Don't Worry Darling, but nope. I did enjoy discussing whether Harry had spat on Chris Pine and the sexual connotations of such a thing. The level of sleuthing that went into all of that is truly admirable. Yeah. Never, never not be fun. Including seeing that story about Spitgate in a gallery in Melbourne I love was that you quite amazing that. for me. Yeah. Um, for me personally, Austin Butler is Elvis. Hot. Good time. Um, the world discovering who he is. Yep. Generically beautiful, very method, but I appreciate him a lot. Getting eyeballed once more by Daniel Kaluuya. What a treat. What a treat. Uh, Jeremy Allen white t-shirt. I honestly probably would not have survived 2023 if it hadn't been for Jeremy Allen white in a in a white t-shirt. It's Jeremy Allen white white t-shirt. White t-shirt, yeah. <laughs> the world's most expensive white t-shirt yeah. and we're all here. A nice little fact is that the t-shirts that he wears in The Bear are exactly the same as the white t-shirts that um, Tom Cruise wears in Top Gun Maverick. Oh, so they're popular for a reason. Yeah, it's the same, they same do a brand, good job. I think. Yep. And just shouting yes, Jeff, for everyone. And then for me, truly topped it off with Andrew Tate being arrested and weird, sleuthed it? by um, Greta Thunberg, allegedly, through a pizza box. Allegedly. So that, I, I like things to end on a high and that felt like... That felt like a high, didn't it? High. Yeah. Thumbs down to Paul and Phoebe rumoured split. Look, the thing is, right, I've kept my mouth shut about this, but... <laughs> we don't know anything. We don't know anything. We don't know anything. I will stress that nobody knows anything. I do find how we are all discussing this is like such... This is what happens when things happen during lockdown and we've got nothing to do, that we're so deeply invested in their relationship. But he was spotted recently having coffee with Angelina Jolie. And I just think, fair play, mate. Imagine, imagine if that fair play, mate. next. She can't go off with Bo Burnham and not expect him to just, you know, level up. So... <laughs> I love I'm you, so Phoebe, get, but, but Paul I mean, deserves good now. things. He always. deserves. He's got some smashing thighs. I can't quite bear the idea of the split between um, what the internet calls uh, Zendaya and Tom Holland for suicidal people. So <laughs> great, Alex Skarsgård having a baby, but not with me. Wasn't that a funny little thing to discover? Surprise baby. Yeah. No. Um, Army Hammer Hive being too outspoken and also him getting that horrible scorpion tattoo. Honestly. Disgusting human. Learning about Nick Cannon. <laughs> and his many children. And his many children. Don't worry, darling, in its entirety. What a what a weird little thing. Oh, that was rubbish, wasn't it? Johnny Depp's existence. Hideous. Uh, Rihanna and Jamie Lee Curtis being Johnny Depp apologists. Also Rihanna having a baby. Oh um, yeah, I forgot about Rihanna and also, having a baby. I'm going to speak my truth. Rihanna re- releasing two songs which were boring as fuck. What the hell has happened? Boring. I, she was so dependable. Upsetting. Until this year. Kanye West, Hitler fan. Awful. Megan Fox's plastic surgery. I... Not necessary. Megan, babe. You are beautiful. You're beautiful. Not anymore. What are you doing? <laughs> um, and queuing for the Queen. Oh, when the Queen died. Yeah, I was out of the country. That was I can't believe you missed that. And then I was here, in fact, spending time with Wesley and us both just being like, I cannot wait for Steph to wake up. The Queen has died. She doesn't even know. She's asleep. The Queen is dead. Um, Absolute farce the weeks after that, though. God, God awful. Awful. Um, Realising how many secret royalists I know. Didn't like that about this year My dad. Awful. Um... So that was our year in a nutshell, really. It's a good time. Yeah, looking forward. It was in some ways worse than previous years and in some ways a bit better. But 
I don't know where that brings us. Probably slightly less than good. I don't want to put too many hopes on this year either. I feel like that's that's often what the downfall 2023 is. Twenty twenty three is going to be my year. Our year. It's and not. Then it's not. It's no like New so. Year's resolutions. Nothing. Hey, at least we've got some good films coming out. We I've do. June part two. June part two. Um, I'm trying to think of any right now. Stuff. My brain's gone. Oh, the film with Alex Skarsgård on a leash. Brandon Cronenberg's new oh, yeah, Infinity Pool. Yeah, fine then. Good, yeah. sorted. That's out this month. Can't wait. Love that for I'm going to be feral. Yeah. Feral. 2023. Steph's feral year. Um, not sure that's much of a departure, but that's Maybe fine. Not. So that's us done. You can find us on Twitter. We're at the Thirst and Instagram at the Thirst Pod, or you can drop us an email on the Thirst Pod at gmail.com. Um, let us know what you thought of any of the things we kind of listed today. If there's any glaring omissions, why not let us know? Um, you can also subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. And if you would like to leave us a review, please do so. It does help people to find us. You can also look at our blog, which I have not updated in a while, so April. maybe in twenty twenty three I will do that. That's the thirstpod.wordpress.com and um check out the show notes as well. Uh yeah, thanks very much. Bye. Bye. <laughs>